Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This is our 19th regular episode. Uh, my name is Ben Jackson and I'll be your host. And as always, I'm joined by our very own Ito and uh, Rafael of, of the post, Scott of the pod, not the post, uh, Scott and Yaris. Uh, how are you guys doing? Still reeling, still reeling from that afternoon result. Do you know what, folks? Muscron are alive. <laughs> they are even off last spot. So yeah. yeah, they're doing a great business now. Yeah, um, all good for the rest, indeed. Yeah, no, Yoris, we're not surprised that you're good. Um, bearing in mind that you're very much at the opposite end of the table to Muscron at this moment. Yeah, we'll definitely talk a bit more about that Muscron result and the ramifications of that. Um, as Scott said, they're certainly back as back as they could be. So yeah, in this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast, we will, as always, have a look back at some of our games of the week and players of the week. Uh, we've got quite a lot of news again to get through. Um, some really interesting talking points in there, uh, just like last week. And we've got a couple of really, really good listener questions to get to before looking ahead to the upcoming fixtures uh, for this next weekend. Just before we start, I'll just quickly run through the results from the weekend that has just passed. So on Friday night, we had Yupin uh, against Shalawa. I'm going to plug myself here a little bit because I'm pretty sure I said I fancied Yupin to win this one, and they did 3-1. So kind of happy for me. Sorry, Shalawa fans, if I've um, jinxed you there. We then had a battle of the bottom dwellers or the basement boys in St. Truden against uh, Vazan Bethlen on Saturday, which ended 1-1. Genk absolutely hammered Circler at 5-1. Muscron held Club Rouge to a nil-nil draw. Mechelen and Beershot played a very entertaining 3-2, uh, which Beershot won. Zolta Valagem kept a clean sheet, amazingly, and scored three goals to beat Ghent. Anderlecht and Standard Liège played El Clasico, and it was the most boring game. We're not going to talk about that much, that's for sure. Kortreich beat Oostend 3-1. And then Monday night's game between Antwerp and Leuven was a really entertaining 3-2 win for Antwerp. Scott, I'll start with you. Which one of those games was your game of the week? Well, regular listeners will know that I mentioned Mecklen, uh, Mecklen Beershot uh, last last week as one to kind of keep an eye on. And it's, it's my match of the week, mainly because it turned out to be every bit as good as I was kind of hoping it would be. You'll know that both these sides, gung-ho attacking sides, and that, that's why I was kind of looking forward to this game. And we had a bit of a laugh when we were watching this on, on the, the WhatsApp group because I did say to the guys, um, I just knew this game was going to come down to who was going to make the least mistakes. Um, and that's that's exactly how it kind of turned out. Mechelen, um, probably the better side over the course of the game, I think, and were looking quite good during a lot of it until, you know, the cataclysmic mistakes started to kind of come in. It's interesting that... You know, Part of my routine is always to kind of go away and have a look at the numbers and the data a little bit more closely after a game because you know what it's like, you know, your eyes tell you one thing, but often the numbers tell you different things. So you have to kind of reconcile discrepancies sometimes. And this game is a bit like that, actually. Mechelen, as we know, kind of like to get the ball out to their wide men as quickly as possible, play quite open, expansive attacking football, which I'm a big fan of. I like the way that they play, although it rattles your nerves because they're kind of quite a brittle side um, for lots of reasons. Anyway, there was a start that kind of stuck out to me when I had a look at this more closely. And for a side who liked to play that way, they actually had um, only four 
four of their 21 attempted crosses over the 90 minutes were successful. And that's really poor for them, actually, which is intrinsic to the way that they play. So that kind of surprised me, as did the fact that they only won just over 50% of, of all their tackles and duels as well, which is kind of pretty poor. My eyes were telling me they played quite well. The numbers kind of don't really back that up, um, but the numbers all indicate a lot of mistakes, really, for them in this game as well. It all started to go kind of pear-shaped, really. Vote, I think, tried to play the ball back to um, the keeper, Gaitan Cock, and, of course, Tisa Daly nipped in and opened the scoring. And that was just... That moment kind of summed up Mecklen's season in a way. It was just an absolutely catastrophic mistake and, and lapse in concentration, which they are prone to. Yeah, just really, really frustrating. The key moment, I suppose, really, is Vranks's red card, I think, you know, at this point, Mecklen are 2-1 up, 60 minutes of the game played, Ranks gets a straight red. Initially at the time, I wasn't sure kind of what had happened. I was as, as surprised as he was, if I'm honest. Um, but then when you see the replay, he follows through kind of quite badly, unintentionally, I think. It's not, you know, he, he doesn't intend to hurt anybody, but you just can't do that in the modern game anymore, no matter how cleanly you play the ball, which he did. You just can't. You can't follow through with that much force. So he gets a straight red and you're thinking, okay, regroup, regroup. Just, you know what I mean? Uh, park the bus, basically, lads. Do you know what I mean? You're 2-1 up here. See out the last half hour. You know, it's a game management issue. Um, and they didn't do it. You know, I was watching the game kind of tearing, tearing my hair out, to be honest, thinking, why, why haven't they just dropped back a bit deeper? you know, made the lines tighter and very difficult for Beershot to play through, you know, but they didn't. They kept they kept attacking Beershot, which is the Mecklen way. I, I will applaud that, but they should not have lost that game. You know, you're sitting there thinking, okay, worst case scenario, draw the game. Just just draw the game. You know what I mean? If you can't hold on to the lead and and they can't they, they couldn't do it. So hearing Vout of Rankin afterwards talking about the red card being the turning point, which is not something anyone I think would disagree with, although he still thinks it wasn't a red. He got booked himself actually for for having plenty to say about it on the touchline as well. Although he did really interestingly, I thought he did mention that he felt that the communication after the red card when they were kind of trying to see the game out was pretty poor. So the truth is they completely failed to do it. They have to stop making these sorts of mistakes. They really, really do. They've been doing it before this weekend. And the point now, I think, is um, looking at the table with Muscron starting to recover somewhat and being off the bottom of the table. Mecklen are in trouble now, I think. They really are in trouble. And that's kind of what I've taken away from this game. And I didn't really think that before tonight's result for Muscron. Yeah, and I think we were just basically talking about it before we uh, started recording, weren't we, Scott? It's like, yeah. you look at the table, you're like, oh, flip. Yeah, no, they are really in trouble. Like, they're only two points ahead of Musclon, and listeners of the podcast will know we've been kind of hammering Musclon pre-managerial change. But since that change, they've, well, they're unbeaten in three games now. They're actually scoring some goals. I wouldn't say they're particularly playing incredibly good football, but they're being a lot more effective than they were. And I think you look at a side like Mechel and you think on paper they've got the quality, but it's like you said, like these mistakes, like Rank's getting sent off. Yeah, it was probably an accident, but yeah, like you said, you can't really argue with that. It was a red card. Um, it was looked quite dangerous on the replay, and I think the moment you just look at that replay, you just know that they're going to give that as a red card. I think it was just kind of like a typical beer shot game as well, in the sense of just goals flying in all over the place, mistakes being made, but at the end of the day, they're the team that comes out on top. They just, I don't know, the moment Franks got sent off, I just felt like, yeah, beer shot are going to win this, because 
this is what they do like they'll take advantage of those mistakes they're kind of like their games are whoever makes the least mistakes aren't they and they just end up being the team that slightly makes the least mistakes did you have a player of the week from this game or was it from somewhere else no i went i went for another game actually i went for julian de who Kertrike uh, fans will know very well as their 25-year-old central midfielder. Really, really nice performance, actually, in the game against Ustend. They won 3-1. Um, he's normally a, a central midfielder, an attacking central midfielder, not in a playmaker sense. He's, he's one of those players who's a bit of an unsung hero and he does the dirty stuff very well. He's very good at breaking up play and then quickly turning defensive play into an attacking transition. And Kertrike fans will know this very well. He can also be a kind of purely defensive midfielder as well. So he has the ability to kind of switch between those two um, and probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. But I, I thought he had a very strong game, actually. Most tackles in the match, successful. Um, seven out of his 10 tackles were successful. He won 13 of his duels, a pass success rate, uh, just over 80%. Two thirds of his passes in the game were actually in uh, Usten's half as well. You know, so he, he was on the front foot a lot. Um, seven recoveries, um, just just a really strong all-round midfield performance. And the thing that I like about these sorts of performances with midfielders is people don't often kind of you know pay that much attention to them. We all like strikers who dazzle us and playmakers who wow us. But these kind of well-rounded midfield performances are really important because they're actually the sorts of performances that kind of win teams' games. You know, they 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 really do make a difference. I dug a wee bit deeper actually on his stats. He's only he's only started ten games um, so far this season. He hasn't scored yet. He's been responsible for one assist, but there was a stat that kind of stuck out to me. His overall pass succession over those ten games success is seventy nine percent, which is really really you know it, it, it's good. Um, and if he can keep doing a job like that, then um, Kertrike are gonna gonna do all right, which they are. They're doing all right. But yeah, well done, Julian Dessart. Yeah, I think, again, another thing we were saying, wasn't it, is we feel like we haven't spoken much about Kortrijk um, mm. in this podcast. But when you then look at the table, they're in the top eight now. They're slightly, I mean, if you just look at their last five games, they are inconsistent. They, well, if you just look at the table, they score as many as they concede. They've got a, a zero goal difference. But they got some players I really like as well. Like like you mentioned, Dessart up front. I really like Elombe and Boyo. Really good experienced player. I like Gay. I think he's a good player. Sudimani, Selimani, who's been coming off the bench a couple of times. He looks quite lively and stuff. They've got some like some good and interesting players. And yeah, I thought it was quite an impressive win for them. I don't know, Yoris, if you've got any opinion on this game or Kortrijk or anything like that as well. Yeah, well, indeed, they, we didn't speak a lot of them, but I just back what you're saying. Actually, like especially up front, they have quite some interesting players. Not necessarily for the top teams, but definitely for all mid-table teams. Yeah, I think the the you know I think that thing about being mid-table, you know, mid-table mediocrity, as lots of people refer to, I think kind of is belittles them a little bit. I think they, you know, they're actually top of the big chances created per match table as well for all sides, which kind of surprised me because I was thinking, wow, I mean, if they could take more of the chances that they're creating, because they're actually quite an effective side in the final third. The trouble is, I bet like Mechelen, they waste a lot of chances that they really shouldn't. So if, if they can up 
up the conversion rate on that a little bit in the final third, then you know what I mean. They can push up the table slightly further there. Yeah, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll come back and talk a wee bit more about them over the coming weeks. Yeah, and even even this weekend they won, but they should have scored more. They could also have conceded more though, but I'll I'll get back to that later. But yeah, they, they should have scored more themselves. And of of course, there's one game where they did score, but they still didn't win. So it was the, the famous 5-5 uh, with Beerschot, of course. <laughs> That's where they did convert their chances. Yeah, well, yeah, I think they're like, I didn't mean it in a mediocre way for sure. Um, but yeah, like maybe even indeed like the top mid-table, I don't know, between sixth and eighth place or something. That might as well be well their spot, which is yeah. not bad at all. No, absolutely. I think especially this season, we look at how tight it is at the top and the bottom. Like, I'm sure a couple of those teams in around there would probably take that mid-table spot now and just be like, yeah, we'll take that. Just keep us safe in the league. And just to kind of look at their results, maybe more so recently, they kind of, they get the results they need against the teams that you'd consider them to be better than. Like, they're not necessarily going to upset the bigger teams, but against, like, East End's... Your Mechelens this season, like teams like that, Musclon, like they'll they'll probably beat those teams. Obviously, the first game of the season they lost to Beveren, but we can excuse that if we just take that as an anomaly. But yeah, yeah, they've definitely got some interesting players up front, like you said. So they're not like one of those mediocre teams that you're like, oh, I'm just not really interested in watching. I'll take second spot with my game of the week, and I'm going to go for uh, Ghent against Zortavad again. Uh, as I said in the intro, I was just quite shocked that Zorta managed to keep a clean sheet. I don't know who that reflects worse on, Ghent or, yeah, if it reflects well on Zalta, but I thought they were really good in this game, actually. Um, they really kind of took some energy into the game and, like, kind of took it to Ghent. And Ghent just, oh, it was just kind of like the same old familiar story. You think that they may have slightly turned a corner, but then they just produce these type of performances and it's just like, oh, it must be so frustrating for their fans. Yeah, so... My player of the week was also from this game, uh, the Mexican midfielder Omar Govia. Yeah, he's got a wonderful free kick to open the scoring in the 27th minute. Then Tomas Shorty headed past Sinambola. Poor Sinambola. I feel like any highlight you see of Sinambola, it's just him picking a ball out of the net at the moment. Yeah, Yali Vossen also scored a header, but this was in about the 82nd minute to make it 3-0. Yeah, I just thought defensively this was a much better performance from them. Louis Boston in goal. Uh, if you look on footmob like match ratings, he got really impressive, 8.6. Uh, he made four saves. Yeah, a couple of high claims, which are always good. They kind of relieve the pressure on the defenders. Uh, Daniel Apari put in a pretty solid game, I thought. Yeah, obviously, Gavir in the midfield was really, really good. He got an assist as well. Um, I just quite like Gavir. I don't know if what you guys think of him as a player. I know, uh, Yoris, he made your team of the week this week, but He's one of those players I quite look like. Slightly diminutive, slightly smaller player, but technically quite sound, can get them going. Especially that free kick, I thought that was a brilliant free kick. Yeah, I feel like this was, when we also look at the table, it was actually a massive result for Zolta after what's just happened. So Musclon winning uh, puts them, uh, Zolta are five points ahead of Vazenberdoren, who are bottom of the table. So this win was actually massive for them to give them 14 points. Scoring goals has been an issue. I was definitely worried about them when you had Berahino go, who was like a creative goal-scoring player for them. They just kind of looked a bit abject in front of goal recently. But yeah, this result will definitely, definitely help them. I was just going to say, we know that Zulta's biggest issues are lack of consistency. 
Mm. Um, and that that's a, a, a seriously long-standing issue that they've had. Yeah. But they do they do have an impressive result in them every so often. I mean, this obviously is one. I mean, Ghent have been all over the place, but it's still an impressive result. But much like uh, the other week when they went to the Jan Bradel and uh, took apart Cercla, and um, I certainly didn't see that coming. How good they were that night as well. So, you know, they've 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 got a good performance in them, and it's just you know, can can you string some results together because that that's what they they seem to kind of not do. I'm quite a big fan of Gavea as well. I mean, listeners all know that he was my player of the week a couple of weeks ago um, on the pod and he's made Yoris's team of the week I think rightly so as well so he's he's having a he's having a good little spell but yeah they just um, yeah they, they're a bit like Mechel and they're, they're another quite frustrating side but for different reasons yeah I, yeah. I, I agree about uh, Govea of course I was also wanted to mention yeah you took him last uh, well not last week but a few weeks ago I think we all are quite fond of him well, it seems like when he's performing that they actually are also performing quite all right. Mm-hmm. He, he used to be a really good player at Muscoon, but then at Antwerp, it didn't really work out. And yeah, last season was a bit disappointing. And this season, it's also not, also not always that consistent. And he, he's a bit strange off the pitch as well, but a bit eccentric maybe. <laughs> but if he's performing well, they're performing well. Yeah, he he didn't only make my team of the week, but I uh, was also in the team of them. Well, or he's one of the best scoring players of November according to Optite. So yeah, there's some st- stats backing that. Of course, this this time around, as uh, Ben mentioned, they, they actually scored all three goals on, uh, on set pieces, I believe. And well, he's responsible for them, so of course he gets uh, some points there, but. Yeah, of course, it's an important part of the game, especially in uh, modern times. Yeah, he, I was impressed with him this weekend, and I hope he can perform that well all the time. Yeah, no, he's definitely an important player for them. And I think it's also interesting that um, they didn't play uh, Pluntix uh, this game either. Um, yeah, play things. yeah. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> obviously, like quite a young player who had been captain of the side a bit of back end of last season and a bit of the start of this season. So it's interesting that they've taken him out and they're keeping clean sheets. Like, I wonder if that, it might be good for his development. But to be fair, like, for Ghent, not having Yelemchuk up front is just, yeah, it's just a different sort of side. So they went with Bezus and Bukhari as the strikers. And Bukhari had the most shots, but he's not, he's not a goal scorer, really. He's more of a wide man who will chip in with a couple of goals and a couple of assists. He's not an out-and-out striker. So, yeah, they created the chances. They just didn't really have anyone to put them away, and fair play to Zolta, they did. So, yeah, Joris, let's uh, let's hear some more from you now. I know you've got lots to go over. Yes, I, I, I will get to, to something I didn't know down yet as well, because I think there's a game that we have to talk about, and um, well, yeah. we're, it seems like we're not. But uh, to come back uh, for, for some stats first and stuff uh, stuff like that about the the game Scott was talking about Michael Bearsfield. It's also of course uh, for people that didn't watch it. It's um, well, it's really just Bearsfield scoring for fun because they also made all goals in that game. Um, <laughs> even the, yeah, they made two own goals. Unfortunately for Mboko, uh, who got his first start of the season, he also scored an own goal. Then uh, like I'd like to return to. Uh, a game from last week, uh, like a, a postponed game that finally got played. Mouscon uh, winning at Circle, which was their first victory at the time. 
and uh, well, there's the highly disputable penalty that is actually the well, what what achieved this victory in the end. There was definitely a fault, but was it in or outside the box on or off the line? It's that's the question. It didn't really look like on, uh, to be honest. No, I don't think it was a penalty. No, I, I I agree. I'm I'm not having that. I kept I kept looking at that. In fact, it was very interesting looking at some of some of the circle uh, fan based accounts were, were tweeting a series of kind of almost stop frame images actually of of the point of contact and on on none of them mm-hmm. um, did I think yeah was I convinced yeah I was I was yes I'm still not having it. <laughs> nope. No, no, I, I agree. Rear to the VAR did not uh, recognize that. Uh, well, in the end, it's proved to be a very crucial victory. Um, also, unfortunately, another sad thing about that, there was a record-setting game with only one Belgian lined up across both teams. So I think it's for the starting 11. For the local flavor, that's that much. Well, not not mm. well. It, it's basically AS Monaco B against um, Little B, uh, so to say. Yeah, um, that's, between that's those what but it might as well, well, especially backed by today's result, it might be the start of Musco's saving operation. Like they're already not bottom anymore. Um, yeah, we already talked about it, so I guess we should not go deeper into it. But well, it was their first victory, first time they scored to more than one goal in a game as well. And yeah, that marks uh, their season and that might turn their season around. Talking about uh, goals and goalkeepers, and actually still about Muscoon, but then the, this weekend's game, they have a crazy schedule now, of course. Um, okay, they played against Kluwege. And another game, Anrecht Standar, which also uh, shares some sad facts. Well, sad is not maybe not the right word, but facts that we don't like to see. It was the first time we have more, uh, more than one goalless game in one inside one match day this season. It, it almost doubled the, the count of uh, goalless draws that we had. And then uh, to highlight someone out of an other game, but also inside the goal, so a goalkeeper, uh, I already touched on it a little. Ilic in a Kortrijk goal uh, seems to be making a difference in comparison to Jakubek. Well, I'm not fond of Jakubek. Uh, I'm not going to hide that. But uh, <laughs> Ilic got his second start. Uh, and well, so far he's, he didn't keep a clean sheet yet, but yeah, he still has only been beaten by bicycle or let's say bicycle kicks against him. Uh, first, uh, the bicycle kick from uh, Noah Lang uh, at Klubrige. Of course, uh, no shame there that they lost that game. And uh, this weekend, uh, there was a great goal from Sager, and Illich also actually made uh, my team of the week in the goal because even though he conceded, he, he did keep them in the game. And uh, well, not you know, only keep him in the game. Was then also both teams actually had a lot of chances, uh, as I spoke about as well before. And um, he did a great job in keeping them out. Uh, not to say actually, uh, Hubert did do a, get a good game as well, but that first goal should have he should have done better. So that ruined yeah. uh, his chances for making the team of the week. Yeah. Then of course, there, yesterday there was a big game as well uh, between Antwerp and OHL, uh, Leuven. Really. Just a really great game. What a game. Um, both teams hit the woodwork twice. There there was a penalty given to Leuven, uh, which was, had to be, was saved, but then had to be retaken. Then there was another penalty for Mbokani straight after uh, the second half started, which was not given. There were plenty of goals. It, it, after 15 minutes of late, it was already uh, 2-2. After um, Antwerp led uh, by 2-0 before, 
En uh, Mercier already hit the, the, the crossbar as well, in between uh, the 1-0 and the 2-0. Um, yeah, there was also just a clash of styles. Antwerp had 80% of possession uh, at some point in the game, in the first half, but I think throughout the game, it was well into the 70s. And um, yeah, still for a long while, it stayed 2-2. Um, so it was still a competitive game. Um, yeah, it really had everything in it. Just one thing uh, I, I want to warn my own team, Genk, uh, about. The three Antwerp goals were quite similar, especially the 2-0 the and the 3-2, uh, which were um, yeah, both crosses towards the second, uh, second post, which then were headed in towards the first post uh, diagonally, which are very difficult to defend. But um, yeah, I, I would be especially wary of them um, if I have to warn Genk. I think that's um, there's definitely some good notes in there for for your side, Joris. I'm I'm so I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, Antwerp Leuven actually because it was it was a really really good game of football. I thought, um, particularly in the first half, there were periods in that that uh, early part of the first half, the first twenty minutes, where Antwerp were, I think, just sumptuous is the word I would use. Leuven were sitting so deep. Um, there was this kind of defensive chaos going on and Antwerp I noticed when I was watching it were flooding the channels with runners so you would expect one or two runners you would expect I don't know Mayoshi or Mbakani um, to maybe make some runs into the channels you know regularly but actually they were flooding all the channels and in response Leuven dropped deep this was in the first five to ten minutes uh, when Antwerp scored their first two and they just did not know how to cope with it at all um, and it was it was brilliant it was brilliant offensive football I thought really good game yeah definitely like I think that was the best game of this weekend for sure and the most competitive um, there was also um, on the last point well last point before I go to touch on my own team as well uh, some of the Teams we appreciated in the past already seem to have some issues, at least in getting some points lately. Uh, most significantly, we can say that, uh, that about both, both Ostende and Oa-Leuve, who both didn't win in November. Of course, there was an international break, but it still accounts for five games without a win for Ostende now and three for Oa-Leuve, and they also had some postponed games. Equally worrying is also Circles form, which is dropping with only one win in the last five games. While they got all of these low bottom teams like Bever, Muskoon and Zlotowarium in this streak. So um, yeah, that, that's a bit worrying for them as well. The good news for at least one of them is that Ohal and uh, Circle are facing each other next weekend. So one of them might take that uh, long sought victory. Okay, Circle actually won not that long ago against Vasan Devre, but still, I think they will uh, they will enjoy another victory before, uh, before every, everything closes down even more uh, in that area of points that they are at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, I have to touch on my team. Uh, they played so well. So Absolutely. I, the, the, but the game was not so competitive. That's why the game Antwerp or Leuve definitely was the, the best game because both teams were performing well in, in their way. Um, and yeah, with Circle, Circle didn't really show up. As I always said here, like the form is really dropping, so it was not an unfortunate timing to, to play against them. But uh, yeah, I was really impressed my, with my own sides, and I'm enjoying watching them. That's already a game. That's, uh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward, even though it might be the end of the streak, because I was really impressed by Antwerp. But 
at least now in comparison to a few weeks ago i'm having positive feelings and looking forward to games and not thinking oh no what's going to happen what's going to happen even if they if they might lose but i i'm quite confident at least the that the game will be a good game so that's uh yeah uh, that's uh, for, for me as a fan it's really uh, already a, ch uh, a change that change of feeling is like what makes a difference um uh, listeners, listeners, um, listeners uh, won't won't know this, um, so I'll share it with everybody. Yoris has actually banned us from t asking the big question about where Genk might go <laughs> now, but you know, here here are the facts, and we'll just touch on this. This is the exciting <laughs> bit. Genk have won the last six in a row, but actually, if you go beyond that, they've won seven of their last nine because there's a couple of draws in there. So they are the informed team at the moment by some distance. Yeah. Yeah, especially for the, the the front three are doing really well. But yeah, just a very overall good performance. Uh, I've talked about Hannah so many times already, so you heard it here before. Now, since <laughs> he's been highlighted in all TV shows now as well, as and of course he's a key factor, like I said in the beginning. And so far, it's proving that. Um, I'm I'm very much hoping he will stay fit. Yeah, I think you guys mentioning how Antwerp Leuven was the best game of the weekend just kind of makes me feel even worse that. Instead of watching that game, I was watching my beloved Fortuna Dusseldorf get pumped 5-0 by Farfell Bochum instead. And the chat was just going off with you guys saying how exciting it was while I was watching a Dross <laughs> terrible, terrible performance. So to hear Joris say that about his team, that he's excited to watch them, um, I'm very jealous. However, this is not a Fortuna Dusseldorf um, therapy session. This is a Belgian Football League podcast. So we're going to take a quick break now. And on the other side, we're going to dive into a bit of the news uh, that's come up from the league over the weekend and potentially tonight. Uh, a couple of listener questions and we'll have a look ahead at the games that are coming up this weekend. Welcome back to part two of episode 19 of the Belgian Football Podcast. Uh, we're going to dive straight into some major news coming out of the league this week. The first one we're going to look at is a pod favourite. Maybe not so much of Joris if he keeps trying to score from corners. Uh, Rafa Holthauser signed a new contract at Beershot. We've spoken about this a couple of times over the past few weeks, but he has signed a new contract at Beershot until 2023. That's great news for them. I think it's a good idea from him. I think whether or not it's one of those things where you sign a contract that increases like your transfer fee and stuff like that, I'm not too sure, but I'd like to think he's... He kind of knows that the role he's got at Beershot, he's probably not going to get anywhere else. And the way they're going at the moment, I think that's a, it's just some more positive news, I guess. Quick thoughts from you two guys. I'm sure you both agree this is a good move for both both parties, I guess. Yeah, definitely. As far as I know, there's a release clause of around three million those included. So uh, for re regarding this transfer fee, um, so he can still be bought, but people uh, clubs will have to pay. But for bigger clubs, it's not necessarily a uh, Impossible mm. thought, but still, yeah. uh, of course, for it's for both teams, for both sides, at least an intention uh, to go forward, and also, well, indeed, for Holzhouse himself, might be good. Right. I think it's the right. I think it's definitely the right decision. I think he's happy there, and he's important to them, so it, it makes complete sense. Um, it's good for the league as well, um, and it's great for us here at the BFP because it means we get to enjoy him longer. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to more Rafa Holzhauser. Holzhauser, if I can spell his name right. Uh, Holzhauser Magic. Another contract uh, extension, again until 2023, was Joris Kayembe of Charleroi, who has been 
Yeah, very impressive this season, filling in at left-back. He replaced Nurio Fortuna in that position. And yeah, he's just been steady and really good. I think this is another good good move by Charleroi, good move by Kayembe. I think the matchup works. Any thoughts on this one, guys? Top defender, I think. Um, like like him a lot. Um, he was actually, I thought, Charleroi's best player against Dupin on a night that wasn't very good for them. You know, he was he was the only one for me who got pass marks, not just because he scored the goal, obviously, but um, he was doing all of the things that he does well. He was the only one who really kind of turned up for them. So, yeah, a, a bit like Holhauser, I'm, I'm kind of pleased about it, purely selfishly, because, you know, we, we, we get to enjoy him for longer again. I think it's definitely also for the club a good thing with news, especially since now, since recently, he's also a red devil, so that might increase his market value even more. So, and also for in both cases, it's until 23. If it's in the end something bad happens for either side, it's not that long. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I feel like indeed the both teams will in the end sell these players, but a bit later than than they would have had to. I think I like about Kembe is that he is just like he feels like a very modern uh, fullback, mm. uh, quite good going forward, quite intense defensively as well. Like. Yeah, no, good player. I've been really impressed with him so far this season. Let's go into some more scheduling dilemmas that the Pro League has at the moment over the January Croaky Cup fixtures. Yeah, so there's kind of this discussion, I guess, going on about whether or not to delay these fixtures further with, obviously, it's not all the professional clubs that are still in this competition. There's some amateur clubs and they're not allowed to play at the moment. So it's kind of like, can these fixtures go ahead if they're not allowed to play? I think it'd be a bit unfair on them because there's some really big ties for these um, these teams that'd be really exciting. But for them to come in to these games off the back of like no training or no games, I think would just be a bit unfair. I don't know if you guys have had any other news about this or any further developments on what the league's planning to do with it. I think the... I think there's no doubt that the fixtures are going to be pushed back a little bit again. I mean, I know that a lot of the amateur clubs are in agreement that they want around three weeks of training before before a game, um, which, which actually isn't unreasonable at all. I mean, it poses mm. challenges, but... I, Regardless of how much training time they want and 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 get, I, I can't see a situation where you know that they're not going to be able to delay pushing it back a little bit further. So they might get kicked back a month. I think there's there's a bigger question, obviously, about what's going to happen with the the amateur leagues season as well, which is still very much up in the air. Some of the clubs are saying, well, you know, if things don't start soon, then you know we're going to have to look at you know maybe calling those amateur seasons. Um, so there'll, there'll probably be more news on that, I think, over the next couple of weeks. As far as I know, the yeah, in the next days we will know more. So hopefully next week we can give an update on all this. Um, but amateur clubs can are not allowed to train even until the 15th of January. And so far the games are planned before that. I think the week before that. And there's some options. Um, like Of course, there, the options are to give exceptions to these um, nine uh, teams involved amateur clubs but these things would have to be signed off uh, by both the Flemish and Walloon ministers and it seems like there's not that many uh, in favor of that or uh, like in the Netherlands they did this it's possible that they would just take them out of the uh, out of the cup and um, yeah give them a financial compensation for that and um, well in that case the teams that drew uh, um that through one of these teams, they would get a buy for these rounds, and um, yeah, they go straight to the round of 16, I believe it's after that. 
yeah, we'll have yeah. to see about how how it goes there. I fear it might be the last scenario. I don't I don't want it. And because pushing yeah. back, I don't think there's not there's really not that much real room for pushing back things anymore. Yeah, I think yeah, it's kind of like a catch twenty two, isn't it? It'd be such a shame for them not to play in these games. But at the end of the day, there's only so many weekends in a year, and there's only so many chances for games to be played, and you've got to factor in all the other things. So fingers crossed we can get some of these games because there's quite a few ties that look quite interesting. Yeah, I think it'd just be a shame if these teams, like, obviously, at least they could get the three months of practice, uh, three weeks of training in. But even then, I think this is not the same as playing matches. But yeah, we'll wait and see and we'll keep everyone updated uh, with what happens in that. But last week, I believe we also spoke about uh, the financial accounts being released by a couple of clubs. Uh, we died into the kind of problematic one with Standard Liège compared to Genk, who were kind of. I guess you could say top of the table in terms of their release of accounts, in terms of their profit. But then Club Bruges decided that they were going to chump them and release their accounts. And yeah, financially, they're doing pretty well. I think, Joris, as you said to us in the chat, there'll be a lot of the European kind of competitions that you've been involved in, which will factor into that. Player sales as well, that sort of thing. But yeah, I think when I see these numbers, so I think I'm reading it correctly, it's 137 million euros that they are in profit uh, when they release their accounts this week and when you then compare that money to their performance against Musclon where they looked absolutely toothless and just did just didn't really look like a side that won the league last year and was playing Champions League football I think if I was a Bruges fan I'd be a little bit frustrated that with the lack of January transfer not January the summer transfer transfer window activity just like that lack of going out and getting a striker when it was so clear that they needed one I don't know if you guys feel the same. I just feel like I'd be a bit frustrated as a fan with seeing that and seeing what's happening on the pitch at the moment. Yeah, I also feel like we've talked about this plenty. Like every other week mm-hmm. it comes up and yeah, I, I, I guess it would be good for the fans like in a month there's another chance. <laughs> Already it's going <Yeah>. closer. <laughs> and also, well, yeah, they're still a decent squad. They're still somewhere on top. They're doing decent so far in Europe, although the Dortmund games were a bit worrying as well. But okay, did you, that you lose these, nobody really expected something else. All in all, but of course, a very decent record financially. So good job on that. <laughs> yeah, especially for the coefficient. It'd be nice for them to get some more wins and get some better players and to get those wins. Obviously, at time of recording, we don't know the result of their Champions League game yet against Zenit, but a win against them again would be massive, um, would really help. With them at least getting Europa League, which would be good. Yeah, and if, if they win that one, actually, they might have a direct face-off against Lazio if uh, Dortmund does their job for the second spot. Uh, right? And and already be assured of third. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for them this uh, this week. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Speaking about sacked managers, at the time of recording, Kevin Muscat is still in a job. We are speaking about how we reckon he's going to be sacked the moment we stop this recording. Uh, just because that's how these things work. But yeah, his team just lost 3-2 to Musclon. They drew on the weekend with Vazan Berthelon. It's just not looking good, is it, guys, for Kevin Muscat? I'd be very, very, very surprised if he's still in the job for the Saturday game. Yeah, I think it's... it's um, yeah, it's, it's looking pretty grim. I mean, they, looking, at, looking at the table now, they are... You know they're they're sixteenth 
11 points. Mushkon are off the bottom. They actually, you know, as everyone all know, they're playing... Mushkon are playing Beveren on, on Saturday, which is a, is another huge game. Whether whether Kevin Muscat's um, still around for their next fixture, we'll, we'll, we'll need to wait and see. It's toss of a coin thing. I mean, I, I can see I can see the board maybe holding off maybe for at least another week, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if he was yeah if he was gone by by the time we finish recording. <laughs> yeah, they got Club Bruges next, which exactly. you usually be like, yeah, that's that's going to be a defeat. But the way Club Bruges are playing, who knows? I talked about the teams dropping. The Revelations not winning. Uh, unfortunately, the same goes for Sinterad, and they also didn't win in November. Not lose but by big numbers either, but these are worrying results when you're already not in a good starting position in going into that month, um, obviously. <laughs> I mean, it's just been, yeah, it's just not been great, has it? Like, Ooh, he seems to is... save his job like, a couple of times. It's not nice, is... is it? Like Not good, no. Like... And like looking... Kind of, I kind of tried to look at what fans were thinking and like what fans are saying. And I think I know you can't really go for Twitter, but there's a lot of people who are not happy with Muscat. They want him gone. A lot of people actually talking about the owners as well, the Japanese owners, and how they haven't really liked the direction they've been going in under them. So yeah, it's not looking good. I thought it was an interesting hire at the beginning of the season. I think Kevin Muscat for me has just been this. I've always thought of him as the scariest man in football. One of those like. He's just terrifying. To be fair, maybe that's why he hasn't been sacked yet because they're all like playing rock, paper, scissors to decide who he has to go and tell him. But <laughs> I'm sure they'll just send him a WhatsApp or something. It's probably either so, or an anonymous email <laughs> just so they don't have to face him because I can't imagine that'd be a fun thing to do. But yeah, it just hasn't worked. I don't think it's worked. I think I don't think the squad's like that bad either. Um, I don't know if you guys agree, but I think they've got players there that, that are good and they should be doing better. But losing... I think this was just the final straw, really. Like losing to Muscon, who, yeah, they have been getting better, but it was still the kind of that was the game, wasn't it? Like that is the game. Like if you're going to save your job, you need to be beating the side at the bottom of the table. But now you're just a point ahead of them, only two points off the bottom. Yeah, it's not going well for him. And I'd, yeah, I'd be very surprised if he's in charge against Club Bruges, but you just know what's going to happen. He'll be in charge against Club Bruges. They'll win like 3 0 or something and he'll be fine. It'll be good and they'll be happy. And then they'll go lose a couple more games. But such bright future you have in mind for them. <laughs> I'm trying to give them some hope. But yeah. That next game is against Charleroi, by the way. Yeah. Is it? Oh, of course. Yeah, the, the, their After schedule is really, yeah. Charleroi. And then I think Dennis Zulte. So that's, but they are also gaining from, oh no, never mind. It's Bearsfield first. And then sure, Zulte yeah. again. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. Their schedule is not looking bright, like like one that that you could expect many points from. Hopefully they do for them. But that's I think that's the worry, isn't it? Like you, you look have at to that. predict now. I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, like you look and you're like, okay, you don't think you're going to get points from those next three games, but then your last three games have been Musclon, Bethlehem, and Leuven, and you've got two points out of a possible nine from those games. Like Leuven, okay, fair enough. Like Leuven have been very decent, but drawing to Bethlehem and then losing to Musclon, like, I feel like that's just, it's very difficult to convince the board that you are the right man for the job after those results. I fear so. Not that they played that bad, even, but yes, you have to get the points when you're in that situation. Yeah, that's what Scott, you were saying at the beginning, weren't you? They haven't played badly, but they just, it's the points, isn't it? Mm -hmm. They just can't get the wins. 
Yeah, I think I think the 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 result against Vasland the other day was was a real sickener because you know you're in stoppage time. Vasland have a free kick. Just see see the game out. You know what I mean? Just see this free kick out. And actually, they 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 had a man lying down behind the wall so that nobody could go under the wall. And of course, the ball went the one place it should never have been able to go. There was one gap that was left at the side of the wall, and that's where it was put. And you know, it it was just it was ah. I kind of had a feeling that that just summed up really kind of the direction of travel for for St. Trude in a way. Joris is right, though. I mean, they haven't been playing badly and there are some really, really decent players there. So there is an argument that somebody probably should be getting a bit more out of them. They're in such a tight corner now, though. They they really are, I think. We just need to see what happens in the next few days. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be stuff coming out. One thing on the game that was played tonight as a recording... Definitely, if you can, go and try and find the Marco uh, Bakic first goal from Muscon. It was a, just the technique of it was lovely, like outside of the boot, curling it into the net. And um, also Nuno da Costa scored a really good goal from Muscon as well. I think I've been quite impressed with him. I think he's, he looks like he's the striker that Muscon needed. Got an eye for goal, quite lively. They've looked a lot more lively, a lot livelier uh, over recent times. We've got some listener questions now. And I think we should probably just take this time to warn our good our good Antwerp friend, friend of the podcast, Jordi, who asked us not to mention beer shot. But I'm really sorry, Jordi. These two questions are all about beer shot. So you can kind of just like skip ahead a couple of um, couple of seconds if you want, so you can avoid us talking about beer shot. Um, and now you probably <laughs> pronounced his name twice wrong again. So yeah, great. <laughs> you're, you're putting some more salt into the wound. <laughs> but Antwerp did a really good job. So hopefully he will. Yeah, yeah. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah, you're, I, got, you're I, doing, I, I used the word well. sumptuous. Remember that? I used the word <laughs> sumptuous. <laughs> he did also mention um, Rangers to you, Scott. So I feel like we kind of had to get our revenge. He asked you to get you him some tickets for Rangers. So. <laughs> Ugh didn't go well there so um the first question is from Eunice just one quick thing before we answer this question definitely check out Eunice on Twitter uh, I'll give you his Twitter handle at the end but Eunice writes a lot about the Belgian league for total football analysis as well as me and he does some really great pieces um, analyzing games and stuff and his question is kind of I guess with the analytical kind of frame in mind so he asked how has beer shots changed to a back four impacted their play and possession the consequent change happens uh, in their game without the ball. So I think it's it's really hard to talk about Beershot's defence in a positive way. <laughs> um, I'm sure you guys agree. I think, in a way, it gives them a little bit more... It kind of allows them to sit more than that, that back four and that kind of have a back four like, set. And I think you saw it against Anderlecht. They actually defended quite well. I know, Joris, we and you were talking about it. We were quite surprised with how well they actually defended. We're like they're actually defending well. Like this is mm-hmm. this is a shot, but yeah, it's, it's it's kind of difficult. I guess apologies. It's quite difficult to kind of analyze their possession play without really diving into the games as much and like looking for that. I guess, and I'd need to kind of compare the two kind of two passages of play between them with their usual three at the back and now their four at the back. But yeah, it's, I don't know if it's. I don't think it's really improved them defensively. I don't know what you guys think. I know that game against uh, Anderlecht, they were better defensively, but then against Mechelen, they scored all the goals, two of which were own goals. So it's kind of it's difficult to say, I guess. I think it's it's very difficult to say. I think the back four suits them a little bit better. They seem marginally more solid, if you like. Joris and I were kind of 
knocking back and forth some some thoughts on this earlier actually and Joris made a great point which you'll be able to explain a bit more in a second about how these beer shot defenders have have a history some of them of of, of being relegated before and playing with teams who defensively are a bit of a shambles in various ways so there is a there is a question mark around just their, their 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 quality full stop, and you can coach and coach and coach and prepare as much as you like, but fundamentally, if the quality is not there, the issues are going to kind of keep coming back. Um, I think the thing with Beershot is they they need to reduce the number of goals they're conceding. We've said this so many times now, but that's 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 the bottom line. They're not really doing that, really. They're still conceding. So although they, there's a very minor improvement, there's not a fundamental improvement yet. I just feel like the individual quality of the most of these defenders is not at the level that Beerschot is playing at right now. Of course, again, there, maybe a transfer window might change that. Plus, I think they will still be happy if they keep winning games. Uh, they won't mind. Van Hamel, they actually have quite a decent keeper, a good goalkeeper, one of the better ones mm-hmm. in the league, I would say. So that's not an issue, but of course, he can't stop everything. Especially when, if you look at it, three of that back four scored on um, on the weekend. Only one of them on the right way, in the right end. So, <laughs> Franz and Mbogo scored <laughs> own goals. Van den Bo scored at the other end. But, yeah, I think, kind of to go back to the question, I guess, Eunice, the way I see it is like that back four should give them it should give them more solidity at the back and I think when they attack I'd still expect to see the full backs push up because I know they like to do that and because the way Holtzhaus plays he's like if they stick him out on left wing he's never going to stay there he's going to drift around so I guess I'd still expect them to maybe attack with a more of a back three so like Peter Matt can come in and kind of join the two centre backs and they can push the full backs on but I think defensively they should be more solid with that four at the back, but it's be a shot. <laughs> they, anything can happen with them. They just love scoring goals, and I'd rather they were exciting and scoring goals than playing up boring nil-nils or one-nils. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the second question is kind of following on from that. It's from our Spanish friends, uh, El Ballon Belga. Um, apologies, as I probably absolutely butchered that. El Ballon Belga. Um, there we go. <laughs> uh, definitely check those guys out on Twitter as well. Um, alongside Eunice, um, they do really good updates and stuff. Um, obviously, even if you don't speak Spanish, just hit that translate button. So, guys, they ask: Can Beershot fight for the title? Obviously, top of the league at the moment. With a caveat that while they have scored the most goals, they have also conceded the most goals. And will they get at least a European place? I think without fundamentally reducing the number of goals they're conceding they don't have a chance of winning the title but I do think they have a very good chance of finishing in the top three yeah I, I'm not even sure about that but indeed I, don't, I agree with the title chances are very slim even still don't want to underestimate them too much because I've been doing that all season so far but I, I see them dropping at some points and losing a few games in a row and we see as long as it stays that close as it is right now, they, if they can get some some margin at the top, which might happen, and then then they might end up with a European ticket uh, and playing the this uh, staying inside the top four and playing the uh, playoffs. I'm sure they will not drop out of the top eight, and uh, so they will have a chance for Europe. I personally, if I would have to say, even now I would still say they don't even get a European ticket. But also because of the level of other of the other teams where you would expect some improvement and with everything being so close, so not necessarily their own, uh, by their own doing. Yeah, no, I think I agree. I don't think they'll win the title. I think they could get into Europe, but 
I think it all, yeah, just so it's really dependent on, in my opinion, Club Bruges and Antwerp and how far they progress in Ooh. Europe. I think that's going to yeah. be quite a big impact. And I think the other factor to put in there, and obviously, yours, I know you don't want to get carried away, but Genk not having European football is another big factor in this. The way they're playing at the moment, they can rest their players, they can keep them like fresh and stuff. So it's going to, it's interesting, yeah, because obviously, Beerschot don't have European football. Charleroi, we said they don't have European football, but they've kind of dropped away a little bit over these last few games. I expect them to come back at some point. Like every team has this dip. That, that's uh, my fear, actually, for Hink. Like, Charleroi also had a six, six wins out of six mm -hmm. and see where they are now out of these top four already. It's not been that long, but yeah, they're, they're also their level has dropped. And um, like, I don't want to get carried away, especially. Before, like the next two games are against Antwerp and Anderlecht, I, I really don't want to say too much about any chance of Hink. Hopefully, playoff one. That's what I want to say. The, that's that, hmm. that's the hope for from before the season already. So a top four, but even that is very much um, not safe yet. But okay, if they keep playing like they're doing now, I'm more confident in that. But anything else is a, is basically a lottery as well anyway at this moment. Yeah, we'll ban Genk title chat until after those two fixtures, and then we can really start talking about it. Just quickly before we move on, I promised you that I'd find Eunice's Twitter account, and it's at Eunice underscore AW. Uh, definitely check him out. Uh, really interesting uh, articles that he writes. Uh, he knows a lot about football and analytics. Yeah, we'll before we quickly dive into the fixtures coming up, uh, I'm sure many of you will have seen that we released our final European special of the group matches. Um, obviously, if clubs progress as we hope they will we'll try and get some for any knockout fixtures but yeah we released our Ludogorets uh special on monday so yeah definitely check it out really interesting one and obviously with all the fixtures coming back up again if you miss them it's a great chance to revisit the other specials that we've done uh they should be quite easy to find uh we covered basically all the teams that the belgian sides are playing had some really interesting chats some really interesting uh people who cover those teams so yeah would encourage you all to check those out Got to move quite quickly now, guys, as we are running out of time. So, Joris, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, what game are you looking forward to? It might not be a surprise that I'm ready and waiting for, desperately waiting for this first test thing between Antwerp. Between the two teams that last weekend, at least, played the best football. So, uh, let's hope it will be an entertaining one. And at the other side of the table, again, we're touched on it last week it was a bit disappointing game maybe uh, the quality of football is not great and I don't expect it to be much different now but the Pevre and Muskel are playing each other as well uh, a, a battle between the two teams in the last two spots we'll see we will make potentially make a jump as well it will be interesting result at wise at least in, I wouldn't really recommend watching the game, but check the result. <laughs> yeah, to the, to the highlights as well, just in yeah. case. But yeah. Well, on the other on the other hand, today it ended three two, and it were the two least exactly. scoring teams in the league until now, and it ended at three two, and we had nil nils with other teams. Absolutely, and Scott, I know you say people should just watch all the games, but is there one in particular they should watch this weekend? Charleroi at home to Kortrijk. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of which one you should definitely watch that's better than the rest, to be honest. Um, I guess Leuven against Circle are two teams that could do with a win. That could be quite an interesting one. I'm actually quite interested, potentially, depending on the Kevin Muscat situation, on St. Trudan against Club Bruges, especially with considering what might happen to Club Bruges in the Champions League. And just before we go, there are also a couple more midweek games 
our time of recording tomorrow there's a game with Charlotte against Bedlam and then Thursday night we have Eupen against Mechelen so yeah plenty of European fixtures plenty of domestic league action for you to all enjoy over these next few days and I think that's pretty much all we've got time for on this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast uh, thanks so much once again to Scott and Joris for gracing me with your time and your opinions and your uh, your knowledge of this league um, always a pleasure to have you guys join me on this podcast likewise when's the next game <laughs> I want to. I want to start recording per game. I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be tough. <laughs> oh yeah, even more, even worse in the well, not worse, but the schedule was the was bad for the European specials. at sometimes, uh, so yeah, would, no, we definitely match that right now. Yeah, a lot of hard work went into those European specials. So thank you so much to people who've given feedback and who have listened to them. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we really enjoy making these podcast and we're glad that it seems that you guys enjoy listening to them as well as always i will plug freelance football ops um to you all again if you're freelancing in football or want to get into freelancing in football definitely sign up to freelance football ops subscription-based newsletter uh, they find jobs which cover writing design video audio and anything in the football media every single week really interesting jobs get sent to your inbox on a monday uh would definitely recommend signing up to those guys check them out on twitter just look for freelance football ops or visit www.freelancefootballops.com and yeah despite Joris's eagerness we will be back just next week nothing else this week with another episode of the Belgian football podcast but yeah in the meantime if you have any questions we really enjoy receiving them definitely send them over to us uh, on the twitter account at belgian podcast or you can email us to our gmail account belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com we also have an Instagram account now. Uh, so if you look for the Belgian Football Podcast on Instagram, you'll find us there. Alternatively, you can harass us individually on Twitter. I'm at BenJack94. Scott's at Scott underscore coin. And Joris is at Joris underscore Beck, B-E-C-Q. Thanks once again for listening to everyone. Uh, thanks, everyone. thanks once again for everyone to listen, for listening to us. And I hope to speak to you soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. <laughs>